Uh, I am also excited for the Generation Spotlight. Do you know we have 12 people who call St. John's their home who are 90 or older? Is that amazing? And so we, we are going to celebrate with them, but it is for anyone who can join us. Um, Carol Sabin is going to speak and uh, kind of give us a little bit of wisdom from um, just many of her different life experiences. So I, I just want to put a plug out. If you happen to be available at 11 o'clock on Thursday, we'd love to have you. Uh, my name is Pastor Tom. I'm the pizza guy. And um, I'm grateful to open up God's word with you this morning. Would you do that now? We're in Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, open up to the one in front of you. It's page 701 in your pew Bibles, and I want to encourage you to do that because um, we're going to go way past um, verse 9 as we go through the message, so um, you're going to need to have it in front of you so that you can follow along as well. So page 701, Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he had got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that it did not bear grain. Still others' seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember um, growing up every year, my, my grandma would come to town. She lived, my, my dad's mom, she lived in the state of Washington. And so she would come and visit us for an entire month in the summer. And we lived in Illinois, and my, so my dad would, would usually take us kids and go pick her up at the airport. We went to O'Hare Airport, and it was back in the day when you could actually go all the way to the terminal. You could see the, the planes driving by, and you could see your loved one coming through, right? And I get goosebumps even now just remembering that. It was just so much fun to watch. But other memories I have from, from those days, one in particular was, was the street musicians that would play at the airport. And specifically, I remember this one place this corridor. How many of you are familiar with that, that corridor in, in O'Hare Airport? Um, there always seem to be street musicians playing there, just incredible musicians. The jazz musicians were always my favorite, the, the saxophone players, the clarinets. And, and as a child, I was mesmerized. I remember walking by and just staring at them. But then as I got older, I started to also notice what was going on all around them, that there were these business travelers to and fro and they vacationers pulling their bags and their children. And I started to have questions, questions like, how can someone be so talented at their music and yet all of these busy people around them are just passing by? And it wasn't that the music wasn't good. The music was sometimes breathtaking. It was excellent. And it wasn't that it wasn't loud. This particular section, you could hear it from anywhere. It just echoed. The reason, and it's pretty simple, is that most people were just simply too busy to care. 
And that made me think about, or the reason I thought about that is, is one of the commentators that I was studying as I studied this passage this week, he quoted a jazz musician. Uh, you may have heard of him. His name is Louis Armstrong. He was, he was asked one time to define jazz. And this is what he said. He said, man, when you got to ask what it is, you'll never get to know. And that's true, Right? Like, like we would say that about all types of music. You've got to hear it to experience it. And, and you could say that about other things. Like, like a good meal has to, you really got to taste it, right? Uh, or, or true love, what we might call true love, you have to experience it. And just like music in the airport, it can be so easy to just pass it all by in the background. Have you ever squandered a good meal? It was delicious, but you just, gulped it down because you were really hungry? You ever ever miss moments with your loved ones because you're simply distracted? Well, in today's gospel reading from the gospel of Mark, Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story that suggests to us that the good news of God that Jesus came to bring, this good message, is kind of like that. It's always good news. The question for you and me is, are we listening? And that's the question we're going to ask this morning. Today's the second week in our series, Serve. That's what we're calling it. And it's a series that's taking us from the very beginning of a season called Lent through Easter by reading the gospel according to Mark, which is the story of Jesus. If you're not doing that with us yet, there's still plenty of time in your bulletin. You can see, um, you can scan the QR code and you can follow along with the Bible app. We got some copies of that outline. If you don't have the Bible app, you want to be in a small group, we can, we'd love for you to sign up for one of those and drop it in the offering basin as you come up for communion. But the reason we're calling this series serve is because we're reading the gospel of Mark. And I didn't address this last week, but in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said a statement that kind of defines the purpose of his story of the story of Jesus. He says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there's four Gospels in the Bible, and I think I shared that last week. There are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... John. So many of you know this. They're telling the same story from a different perspective. Each author has a little bit different of an angle and different purpose for why he's writing these words. So for example, a couple years ago, we went through the gospel of Matthew during Lent, and we learned that Matthew's focus is on the kingdom of God. So there's a lot of kingdom language. John wrote his gospel, and he actually tells us why he wrote it. In John chapter 20, he says he wrote it so that everybody who reads this would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and not just believe that, but that they might find life in his name. And so Mark also has a purpose. And this is Mark's purpose, that Jesus is a servant, that he is a suffering Savior. Philippians 2, Paul says that he didn't see being equal to God as something that he could attain, even though he himself was equal to God. And so that's the, the lens through which we read the story of Jesus as we read through Mark. And, and I want you to have that in mind as we're looking at Mark chapter 4. 
Now, uh, we're just getting started in, in Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the very beginning. He's called the 12 disciples at this point. He's performed a bunch of healings and miracles, and crowds are starting to form around him. And in this particular chapter, there's this crowd that's so large that he's got to get in a boat in order to be able to get back far enough to be able to teach these people. And what we're going to learn is that even that setting has significance that ties into what he's trying to communicate through the parable. And so let's, let's jump into it. Verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered around him, was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people along the shore were at the water's edge. The people were along the shore at the water's edge. Now, the reason I underline the word shore is because in the original language, the Greek, the same word for shore can also be translated as soil. And you're going to see that same word as we get through the parable. And you would know that because we've translated it differently into English. But it's the same word. And I believe it's because Mark wants to tie the people standing on the shore to the soil that Jesus is about to teach. And so we continue. Verse 2. Jesus taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much, say it with me, soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched. They withered away because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, same Greek word. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. But it's almost cryptic, isn't it? Like you're like, okay, well, thanks for giving me the insight on the Greek, but, but it's almost cryptic. And if you don't understand, then I want you to know you're not alone. The 12 disciples actually didn't understand either. And what we're going to learn is that the people that are listening to Jesus are like the different types of soil. And, and Mark thinks it's important that we understand the meaning behind the parable. And so he, he just tells us what Jesus said. when uh, Verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked Jesus about the parables. And Jesus told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those outside, to those outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be seeing, ever seeing, but never perceiving, that they may ever be hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. To which the disciples said, oh, I get it now, Jesus. <laughs> Let's go have dinner, Right? No, this almost seems even more confusing. Now, that quote at the very beginning with the underlying words actually comes from a prophet that lived like some 700 years before Jesus. His name is Isaiah. And he saw it to the people of Israel, the people through which Jesus would come. 
And he said it to them because they saw the message of God, but they did not perceive it. They heard the words of God, but they didn't understand it. They were like the busy travelers flowing through O'Hare Airport with beautiful music playing in the background, and they're not even stopping to listen. And the problem is that all those years later, during the time of Jesus, there were people that weren't listening then either. Crowds of people who were following the message of Jesus, but yet they did not understand. And so Jesus is sitting with this smaller group of people, this 12 disciples and some others, and they're asking him what all this means. And he says to them, don't you understand this parable? If you don't understand this one, then how are you going to understand anything I'm trying to teach you? And and this isn't really the main point of the parable, but I want to point it out because I think it's significant. Jesus is saying to the people that are close to him, this inner circle, the people hanging out with him after the big teaching, and he says to them basically, just because you're close to me, it doesn't mean you're any better than the crowds. See, you're close to me, and you still don't understand the meaning of the parable. And, And the reason I bring that up, and the reason I want to point that out is because We've all met people, maybe we've been that person who is religious and thinks that because we go to church and and we read our Bible and we pray and we do all of these things that, that somehow our proximity to holy things makes us holy. We think that way sometimes, but that doesn't make any more sense than somebody walking by a street musician and enjoying the music just because they're close, right? Like, if you're not paying attention, your coat could brush up against their saxophone. And if you're not listening, you're not even going to remember that you heard it. Or in the words of Jesus, the seed won't take root because you're not good soil. Now, most of us at this point probably feel some conviction here. Like, how many of you can relate to the busy traveler in the airport? I'll put my hand up first. See, we, we all kind of feel that way, and so we're like, okay, there must be some message here. There's some, conv- some conviction that God wants to draw us to be better soil, but there's also a message of grace. And the message of grace is that by being close to Jesus, it doesn't necessarily make you better, but what it does is it helps you understand the things that he's trying to say. Just by asking Jesus to explain the parable, Jesus answers their question. And that's what we read in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. He just tells them, this is what I meant when I told you the story. The farmer sows the word, the word of God. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes it away, the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Excuse me, But since they have no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Let's see here. Still others, verse 18 like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. They come in and make it unfruitful. And others, like the seeds sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it and produce a crop some 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now there's both challenge and grace in this parable and and I want to point out both we'll start with grace because that's fun 
Now we'll get to challenge, and then we'll end with grace. Now, now notice the way that he says the seed is planted. This is why I want you to have your Bibles open. He says that the seed is planted just like a farmer would plant his seed. Now, now I'm no farmer, but I can buy seed. And, and, and so I just imagine the way that any farmer would plant seed. We've got a couple of farmers in the room, so Gary, I'm looking at you. Is You've got like several hundred acres, right? So you probably walk every square inch of that acreage, and you take one seed at a time and say, oh, there's some, there's some good soil. We'll put it there. Oh, there's some good soil. We'll put it there. Well, that whole section, is that's, that's not going to work at all. That's not going to grow anything, right? <laughs> I love this section. That's why I said it to them. I knew they could handle it. it. Gary, is that the way that a farmer plants seed in there? Is that the way it works? No. You know how a farmer plants seed? You better brace yourself. You know what I'm going to do, right? This is how they do it. They just throw it. That's how you plant seed. Our custodians are going to hate me, right? That's what they do. A farmer indiscriminately throws the seed out there. They plant it on every kind of soil. And they also know, right, Gary, that not every seed is going to take roots, right? But they plant it anyway. They plant it everywhere. And then they pray to God for the rain so that it grows. Friends, that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. He is the farmer, and he is indiscriminate about the seed. And I say that because we like to discriminate all the time, don't we? We like to say to other people, you're not good enough for the seed of faith to be watered in you. You're not good enough for the kingdom of God to come into your life. You haven't done the right thing. Your lifestyle doesn't look like it's supposed to look. We do all of these things. Meanwhile, Jesus says the seed goes everywhere. It's what Jesus was saying in the very first chapter, verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's grace. Baptist, amen. 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 So what's the challenge? (laughs) If that's the grace, then what's the challenge? Well, the challenge is then how do we allow it to grow, right? Just because the seed is planted doesn't mean it's going to grow. And that requires good soil. And so Jesus wants us to know what does good soil look like. And so he starts by telling us what doesn't look like good soil. And there's a couple here that I'm going to share with you. The first one is the ill-prepared soil. That's the seed that's sown in the soil along the path. Doesn't even have a chance to grow. Like, that's the busy travelers, right, that are passing by the music. They, they don't even know that they heard it because they did not prepare to listen. They didn't create margin in their schedule. They're running to their flight, or they become distracted by the screen in front of them while they're moving on that rolling thing under their feet. In any case, they're not hearing the music. And so the challenge is, how can we accept to hear God's, how can we expect to hear God's voice and for his message to take root in our lives if we're not even listening, right? And I shared this a while back, and, and somebody reminded me, I forgot I had even shared it, but, but they reminded me, and I'm glad they did. A way to think about this is, is, what do you spend more time doing throughout any given week? Do you spend more time reading your Bible, or do you spend more time on your cell phone? Like, just think about that. You don't have to answer that because we're all going to be really embarrassed, right? 
And, and, and you're like, well, I have the Bible app. Yeah, but do you open it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, let's just be real here. Do you spend more time in prayer with God, or do you spend more time binge-watching episodes of your favorite sitcom on Netflix? It, it challenges us, doesn't it? It challenges us to think about that, and then we wonder when we're not creating time and context for God's seed of his kingdom to grow in our lives, why it doesn't grow. Well, maybe we're not giving it that time, but I assume that you want it to grow. That's why you're here, right? Like, you, you actually took time out of your week to be here and, and, and to listen to God's word and, and, and to try to allow it to grow. And so, so I think it would be helpful for all of us to go to the next one, which is the constrained soil. That's the, the seed that, that is sown in rocky places. It's the seed that does sprout, but it doesn't continue to grow because there's no place for it to grow, and so it dies. Now, every few years... I think whenever this parable comes up, I, I often will share this, this picture here on the right. Uh, does anybody recognize that picture? Anybody show hands? Okay, some, some of you guys do. That is a maple tree, but that's a very special maple tree because that is a maple tree that I planted from a seed when I was in first grade. And it's even bigger than that now. So, so I, pretty incredible. And, and I took a picture. That's my childhood home behind the tree. My parents don't live there anymore. They're wondering who the creepy guy was taking a picture of their tree, right? Like, no, this is my tree. Like, I planted that. And, and, and I remember this. Like, like this, this thing has taught me so many things about this parable. I remember planting it in first grade. It was like one of those isolated moments in life that you remember. And we, we got the seeds, and we planted them all in Dixie Cups. And, and then we placed them on the windowsill. It was in the middle of winter when we did this. And, and we watered them every day. And we watched them to grow. And then, and then, of course, when they got big enough, we had to move them from the Dixie cup to a larger cup. And then we had to move them to a pot. And then by spring, we had to take them home and plant them in the ground. Why? Well, because I'm not a farmer like Gary, but even I know that a plant will only grow into the space that it's given. Well, what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is the same way. If we want the seed of faith to grow in our lives, we've got to give it the soil to grow. And, and that naturally happens, right? Like that naturally can happen to those of us as we grow in years and in wisdom and we go through life. It's why somebody who has been faithful to God their whole life has a depth of wisdom that somebody who's young that's just getting started just doesn't have. However... Being older doesn't always equate to deeper faith either. You can be 90 and you can still have a very immature faith because you never let the seed leave the Dixie cup. And so now you've got this whole lifetime of soil, but you never let God out of the sandbox of your faith. And so the roots never grew deep and the tree could only grow so tall. Maybe you applied your faith at church on Sunday, but... But your marriage on Monday? No, 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 that's, that's off limits. Your job? No, God doesn't go there. We never let God out of the sandbox of our faith. And we have all these different excuses too, don't we? We say, well, I can't make the other people in my life have faith. Well, here's the thing. You can't make yourself have faith. The thing about the seed of faith is that the seed is planted and it's watered, but it's only God who can make it grow. And if we never invite him into those places, we're never going to see what he can do. You have a place in your life where you still feel guilt and shame and you haven't confessed that to someone, you haven't invited God into that. <coughs> what if the seed grew there? That's the constrained soil. 
The third one is the distracted soil. That's the seed that's sown among the thorns. Now, in this situation, the seed grows, but it has to compete with other things. Sometimes they're even good things or neutral things. Sometimes they're like weeds, and they they come and they they take the nutrients that the tree really needs to grow. And and sometimes, again, they're they're just neutral. It's like, like the deceitfulness of money. Jesus uses that as an example. And, and it's not that money in itself is a sin, but Jesus taught about this. Matthew 6, you probably heard it. No one can serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Doesn't mean money is a bad thing, but if you're living for money, it will be at the expense of something else. I had to take some bushes out of my front yard just this past season, and it wasn't because there was anything wrong with the bushes, but there were too many of them. And so we had to take one out in order for the other ones to continue to grow. If that's money for you, and that's all you're thinking about, and that's all you're, you're doing, and it's all you're wishing, eventually it will compete for your thoughts of God. You can't serve both. That's the constrained soil. But then we have the good soil, and I told you we're going to end with grace. That's what we all want to be, is good soil. And I've shared this before. There's really only one way to make soil good. There's really only one way to make soil fertile so that things can grow in it. Do you know what that means? you got to put compost down. <laughs> and if you don't know what compost is, it's organic material that decomposes and produces nutrients to allow new things to grow. It's stuff that was alive, and now it's dead. People use old food, people use old plants, people use dead fish, people use manure. It's something that was alive that goes through the process of death. And by going through the process of death, actually produces the context for new life. Do you see where Jesus is going with this, right? And I hate this part of the passage as a preacher because this is the point where I want to have a really nice and concise final message that tells you the equivalence of spiritual miracle grow. That if you just take this and sprinkle it on the problems of your life, it'll all be wonderful. If you just put this in the spreader and just go to the back 40, it'll grow instantly, but that's not the way life works. The only way for soil to truly be rich is for things to die so that something new might live. And we know this. And we know this because, friends, we're all headed there. It's what Jesus came to do when he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die so that you and I might live. And it's why the psalmist wrote it this way. Psalm 126 didn't even know fully what he was talking about, but we know now that those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Just think about it, and I'll leave you with this. Is it not the moments in your life when you have pain and loss that you find when you invite the seed of God's presence into them, you are drawn closest to him? 
Is it not in those moments? That's why Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Mark, we read it last week as part of our devotionals, chapter 2, verse 17, he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it is the sick. I have come to, not to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. Do you know why he said that? Because sinners make good soil. Sinners make good soil when they turn back to him. God called this truth to take root through Jesus And he called this truth to take root through Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus would even walk the earth when he said through the prophet Jeremiah that the days are coming when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah with offspring of people and of animals. And just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, to overflow, to destroy, to bring disaster, God is not absent when we're going through these things. He says, just as I have watched over my people through all of that, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. And so can we pray for that in our lives right now? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for both the grace and the challenge of this message that you indiscriminately sow seed on all types of soil, that the kingdom of God is at hand, and that our job is to allow it to grow in our lives. And so, Jesus, we just pray that we would be good soil for you, knowing that what that means is that we would accept and even embrace the moments of pain and sorrow and loss and death in our lives, knowing that just as you are present with us over each and every one of those moments, you too will be present with us as you bring new life through that good soil. Whether that's new life and hope that comes through an awareness of your presence with us when we're in pain, you say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or whether it's through the hope that we have in the things that we do not yet see, for faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Our job is to be good soil. And drawing closer to you does not make us any better than those who are bad soil. What it does is it gives us an opportunity to ask you to be with us. To ask you in the moments that we don't know how to follow you. You don't expect us to do it perfectly. None of us are perfect soil. But you are with us. And that's a promise that we remember as we gather around this table. As we open our eyes, we are mindful that you gave us a meal that communicates this very rhythm of life that you invite us into. When you took bread with your disciples on the night that you would be betrayed and you broke it with them as we believe that you are breaking it with us. And you said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, you took the cup of blessing and gave thanks. You gave it for all to drink, saying, take and drink this cup. It's the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. For as often as we gather around this table and we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, what we are doing is we are fertilizing the soil of our lives with the flesh and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus, the one who literally died on our behalf so that we might live. 
And if you believe that to be true and you want that to be true in your life, no matter, no matter what, what, where you've been, what you've done, where you're going, who you are, the way we accept that gift of grace is the same way that soil accepts the seed. You just open up your hands. <laughs> so if you believe this to be true, let's open up our hands together as we surrender by praying the way that Jesus has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Sir, ushers come forward to dismiss you by row. Come, come to the table.